tell me what specifically the Supreme Court says. It's a 92-page ruling here, so it says a lot. But uh, give me the Reader's Digest version here. Well, you know, about the middle 75 pages uh, are a a dissertation from uh, Justice Nels Peterson about the history of the Georgia constitutional privilege against self-incrimination. And so um, the the punchline's on page one, and then some warnings are sort of towards the end. But essentially what the, 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 the opinion does is it says that simply refusing to take a state administered breath test um, to use that against someone at trial is unconstitutional under the Georgia Constitution. All right. It occurs to me to wonder, and we'll get into the weeds of this here in a bit, Jeff Rothman, attorney here. What do other states, we've we got 49 other states, what, what do they say? What do their state constitutions say? What have their courts ruled? And has this ever been adjudicated at the federal level? This has been adjudicated at the federal level. Um, back in uh, the early 1980s, the South Dakota Supreme Court, an appeal out of the South Dakota Supreme Court, uh, made it essentially official, at least around 49 other states, that, um, that you know, you, you can use the refusal to submit the testing against an individual suspected of DUI. So, yes, Georgia is an outlier, at least uh, recently under the, the, the present, you know, scheme of DUI laws. All right. Let, let's be clear here. Also, this speaks strictly to breathalyzers, not to urine tests, not to blood tests. Why not? First of all, why why just breathalyzers? Well, what the Supreme Court ruled, and I, I was on a show, I guess, about a year or so ago, talking about the Olevic decision, which came out of the Georgia Supreme Court late 2017. Um, the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that the difference between breath testing and blood testing essentially is that you have to provide the sample with regard to breath. You have to take the deep breath. You have to be compelled to put all that air into the machine. It's you doing it as opposed to a blood test where you're just sitting there and having the sample extracted from you. You don't really have to do anything. Uh, we should also point out, and make sure I get this right, first of all, but my understanding of the ruling is, okay, this ruling speaks specifically to what happens, or in this case, doesn't happen in court. I don't blow the breathalyzer test. They cannot use that as evidence against me in any trial that, that we might have. That does not say, it explicitly doesn't say, that the police, that the state can't pull my driver's license. They still can and will if I refuse to submit to the breathalyzer test. That's absolutely correct. And in fact, the court makes that clear that license, this, the scheme of, of statutes that control license suspension, this doesn't affect it. it this, this, this opinion does a lot of things. There's, there's a lot of things it doesn't do. Uh, it doesn't make uh, people who are accused of DUI, doesn't get them automatically out of their DUI. Uh, you know, like I tell people, uh, you know, intoxicated people tend, you know, very intoxicated people tend to be convicted of DUI. People who tend to look sober tend to be acquitted of DUI. Um, this opinion is not going to do much to change that. What this will do, I suppose, in marginal cases, it's going to prevent the use of the refusal to submit to testing and very likely will have an impact on people who did submit to testing. I'm trying to apply this to some other case. Let's let's just say, for example, and again, Attorney Jeff Rothman here with us, I'm trying to draw an analogy. Let's say I'm suspected of, I don't know, let's say I'm suspected of burglary, okay, and the police show up at my house and they want to see what's in my house. Uh, if I don't allow them in, now and we'll get to the search warrant part of this in a moment, but if I don't allow them in, 
They don't find stolen stuff in my house because I didn't allow them in. But they bring me to court anyway, and they try me. And the lawyer said, the prosecutor says, well, he wouldn't let us in the house. That must be evidence that he had something to hide. Is, is that a decent analogy here? Well, it's, it's, it's not, and I'll tell you why. Because um, the Fourth Amendment, which controls search and seizures as opposed to the Fifth Amendment that controls um, self-incrimination, it, the whole concept behind the Fourth Amendment is to prevent the search from happening in the first place. Okay, so in other words, um, some in some circumstances, you can use somebody's refusal to submit to uh, a search when requested uh, by law enforcement against them at the trial if they say, hey, this was not my drugs or this is not my bur- burgled items. Um, but in self-incrimination protects the person's right to a fair trial. And because of that, when somebody, like, for example, and to change your facts just a little bit, if somebody comes up to you and, and, and places you under arrest for burglary at your house, and then while you're in custody, say, you know, look, I want to talk to you about where you were last night. We had a burglary last night, and the person says, I want to talk to a lawyer, or I, want to, I don't want to talk to you at all. It's very clear under the Georgia you know, Constitution and the United States Constitution that you have a right to remain silent, and that silence can't be used against you. Um, it's a different context with regard to searches because the, the, the legal implication is we just don't want the search to happen, not that we want to use it against him at trial. Right, fair enough. Jeff, uh, Jeff Rothman, attorney here in Athens. Pete Skandalakis, the Georgia Prosecutor's Counsel, says, okay, the, the easy workaround here is to simply get a search warrant. I, I'm trying to logistically picture how that's going to happen. Though The cop pulls me over for DUI. Here, blow my breathalyzer test. I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'll get a search warrant. I mean, there's a clock on all this, isn't there? There is a clock to some extent. Search warrants are acquired very quickly. Um, and so uh, there was a case out of our uh, United States Supreme Court out of Missouri, uh, and you know they essentially found that in today's day and age, search warrants are acquired very quickly. We do them electronically. Law enforcement can sit at a laptop in their car, transmit the warrant electronically, and on their way to the hospital provide the evidence um, to a magistrate who is on call in virtually every county in the state of Georgia. All right, Jeff Rothman, attorney here. Let's let's look at the specifics of the Athens case for a moment. This stems from a case here in Athens. It takes us back to the summer of 2015, and a young woman named Andrea Elliott. I mean, her name's out there, so we'll use it. What what happened in her case? Well, she was um, arrested. Now, she this is the sister case of my case. There were four cases that went up to the Georgia Supreme Court. One was bounced for a procedural or technical reason. I think two are still awaiting decisions, but uh, it's a foregone conclusion of how it will turn out. Miss Elliott um, was pulled over for just a simple traffic violation. I think she touched the yellow line. She was pulled over. She was asked to do some tests. Um, she, you know, in the officer's estimation, did not do very well on those tests, and she was arrested for EUI. She was asked to take a, a test. They read the Georgia Implied Consent Notice, which outlines a number of rights and responsibilities that you have in connection with your driving privileges. And um, she ultimately uh, declined to take the state-administered birth test. All right, let's talk about that Georgia Implied Consent Notice, because that's at the heart of all of this, as I understand it. it. You touched on it. What are we talking about here? Okay, so the Georgia Implied Consent Notice basically is a warning. It takes the officers about a minute to read. It's required to be read at the time of arrest. It does a number of different things. It, it advises the suspect they're under arrest for DUI, that bad things are going to happen to your driver's license if you refuse to take the test, including, which is the issue at, uh, that we have here, including that the refusal to submit to required state testing may be offered into evidence against you at trial. 
It then goes on to tell you what happens if you if your test result is 0.02 or 0.08 or more, depending on your age. And then it tells you your right to have independent testing. And then it asks you the question, will you submit to a state-administered breath test or blood test or whatever the case may be? Uh, what would you say to those, Jeff Rothman? We'll let you go on this one, Anthony's attorney, Jeff Rothman. You, as you've indicated, you defend uh, DUI clients in DUI cases, people accused of driving under the influence. What would you say to those who would say that this ruling, however marginally, makes our streets more dangerous? Well, you know, it, it, it's all a balancing act of citizens' rights and, and you know, someone's, um, you know, the ability of the state to be able to keep people that are dangerous off the roadways. Um, we don't, you know, we have always had a historical basis for being more severe to DUI cases than even in some cases murder cases and the way we deal with it legally. We have roadblocks. We stop people without suspicion. You know, we do a whole bunch of things in the DUI context that we don't do in normal law enforcement. And so it's not that we're going to be less safe. People who are intoxicated will still get pulled over for DUI. They'll still be arrested. They'll still be taken to jail. And more than likely, if they appear impaired, will be convicted of DUI. That's not going to change anything. Jeff Rothman, attorney here in Athens. I'm smarter than I was nine minutes ago, or at least better informed on this. Thank you so much for your time this morning. All right. Thanks for having me.